Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and Josh is carrying my bastard child. What does that have to even do with this? Oh, I guess. Did you not watch the movie? Yeah, no, I was thinking of the main character. I was like, there's no bastard. Yeah, okay, all right. Or maybe in one reality you're carrying maybe. my bastard. You never so know. Right. Anything is possible. Maybe it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger Jr. situation we got going on here. If, if you wanted, you were upset I didn't go to a, a main character? <laughs> no, I just I just uh, was uh, trying uh, to. Jason I was Harris, a- filmmaker, comedian. And I'm running with my red hair. There you go. That's very clever. <laughs> that reference is a good that you've made. Though. Very clever. Yes. I have no, to I, save my boyfriend. He has a hundred thousand Deutschmarks to a drug dealer. See, yes. it's too on the nose. Josh. No, you're right. You're right. I I clearly uh, am not fully alert here yet, but we'll get there. You know, because this is a very uh, energetic film that we're about to talk about. And then. Josh became alert. <laughs> Thank Polaroid, you. Polaroid, Polaroid, yeah, Polaroid. Yeah, hopefully so. Some flashes of the, the upcoming discussion in our podcast. <laughs> so we've been talking about the films of 1999 in this season, and we are here at our foreign film pick, which is Run, Lola, Run, the German film from Tom Tikver. And uh, that, that was good. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I think that's, that's right. I hope so. Yeah, Lola Rent. Yes, exactly. That is the German title and uh, was released in Germany and some European countries in 1998, made its way to the US and uh, other places worldwide in 1999, uh, including the Sundance Film Festival, where it won the World Cinema Audience Award at 1999 Sundance. And it was a massive hit. Um, it grossed, I mean, for something like this, it grossed $22.9 million worldwide on its budget of $1.75 million. So pretty impressive there. This was Tikver's third film, uh, but his breakthrough here to a, to a worldwide audience. $13.8 million in Germany in 1998, the highest grossing film there. And I think, Josh, uh, beyond being a hit, like, you know, we were in college at the time, like this was on like the, the tip of the tongue of it. You got to go see this movie, right? Like it was proto hipster, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly uh, one of the indie films of that year, that moment that everyone was talking about that uh, was cool to go. Right. See. And that's the one of the recurring themes of this season is the the indie boom and how it was supposed to take over Hollywood. But instead, they all sold out to be Marvel writers. Yeah. That's not exactly true. <laughs> no, but, but uh, it, I feel like that's always a narrative with it's like the indie films are taken over, but then they just get co-opted. But it uh, happened in the 70s. Yeah, kind of. But then anyway, it's, we're <laughs> off track there. But this movie was successful, um, won a bunch of awards, uh, including Best Foreign Film at the Independent Spirit Awards and seven awards at the German Film Awards, kind of the top. Film award there in Germany, including Best Picture. It was Germany's selection for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars, but it was not nominated. It's kind of crazy that it wasn't nominated because, you know, when they talk about like Best Picture and they're like, well, there should always be like one mainstream thing or this or that. Like, I feel like with Best Foreign Picture, if one like breaks through to this much of the mainstream, you can't like deny what it is. Um, I didn't look up the nominees, but I can't 
imagine there were five more impactful foreign films in this time period. Yeah, I didn't either, but you're probably right. And I mean, we've certainly talked about the Oscars uh, poor selections uh, many, many times, especially I think in the foreign language category and in the documentary category where they've had various arcane uh, procedures for how they pick what is nominated. So it's not surprising to me that they they missed the boat on this and, and missed the opportunity to nominate a movie that was actually very popular right. that people might have heard of and wanted to, to see get an award. But even though it didn't get the Oscar nomination, it was highly popular with critics. It was very, very well reviewed. I, I couldn't even find a negative review uh, from any major critics. So I'm going to read you some positive reviews. And, and, and right before you do, Josh, yes. nom- All About My Mother won mm-hmm. Almodovar. Is this that was- for 98 or not? Because it would have been 98, I think, actually. Really? Well, yeah, because the way it, the submission process works is from when it was released in the home country. So, Josh beat both of us. <laughs> I guess I didn't look it up though, so I don't know. Let's. Uh... So it would have been okay. So it would have been uh, the, well. Of course, it wasn't going to win. It had to go against Life Is Beautiful. That was oh, the juggernaut. Yeah, yeah. Right. Central Station. That was very popular. Right. Children of Heaven, a great Persian movie. Have I haven't you ever seen, seen that. that? Yeah. No. And then uh, the Grandfather from Spain and Tango from Argentina. These are you know heavy hitters. I take it back. All right. Later yeah. run, Lola, run. Enjoy your- <laughs> I mean, certainly Life is Beautiful was a, was a massive juggernaut. And this would have actually, uh, the nomination process would have meant that it would have been nominated for an Oscar, I think, probably before it was released in the U.S. and became that popular. Ay, ay, ay. I know, How can weird. you keep up with this? It's very confusing. So when it was released in the U.S., however, critics thought it was great. Uh, Roger Ebert said, film is ideal for showing alternate and parallel timelines. It's literal. We see Lola running, so we accept her reality, even though the streets she runs through and the people she meets are altered in each story. The message is that the smallest events can have enormous consequences. Run, Lola, Run is essentially a film about itself, a closed loop of style. Movies about characters on the run usually involve a linear story, but this one is basically about running and about the way that movie action sequences have a life and logic of their own. I would not want to see a sequel to the film, and at 81 minutes, it isn't a second too short. But what it does, it does cheerfully with great energy and very well. So he liked it, but maybe uh, didn't love it. I thought he did love it. Didn't he give it like four stars? I think he might have given it three out of four stars. Uh, so I mean, still a positive, though. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the sequel. The, the sequel. Sequel so, from Tikver. <laughs> Tikver had said if he was ever going to do a sequel, it would be about the bum that uh, Morris gives the gun to. Oh, that, that would that be he, the sequel that he the, who sets it all off because he takes the money that Manny accidentally leaves. Yeah, on the, Manny uh, and Morris is the uh, I think his real name, the actor. The, no, I don't think so. Yeah, um, Morris Bleibtreu. Oh, is it Morris? Oh, OK. You're right. My apologies. Morris Bleibtreu. Moritz. Yeah. Moritz Bleibtreu. That's uh, <laughs> this riveting stuff here. <laughs> Um, I would not want to see that sequel. So I'm with Ebert on that. I'm glad that that is not a thing. What do you think it would be called? Uh, Run, bum, run. (laughs) It would would be a, I don't know. He got the, he would be, he wouldn't be running. He was on a bike. Yeah. Maybe it would be bike, bum, bike. (laughs) It would be a terrible title. I would not see that movie. Well, Run Run wasn't probably like such a, you know, it's a unique title. It's it's a thing that you can, you know, we talked about Forrest Gump, Run, Forrest, Run. I feel like that's a construction that people say. It's a, it's a, it's a sentence. No one said bike, forest, bike. No, they didn't. But I mean, I think Ebert is right is in that 
one thing that struck me about watching this movie is that it's really not about anything. There's like barely a plot of any kind. Oh my God, Josh. Haven't you read any of the essays about like determinism and chaos theory and the butterfly effect and all free will? It's got so many layers of philosophy if you wanted to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, from a plot standpoint, there's barely a story. Um, there's those themes, I suppose. I, I feel like it's a stretch to say that it's all that deep, but uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, I'm just telling you people have written these. Essays, sure, sure. You know? I know. I believe you. Yeah. Did and you read them? I read them all, but uh, <laughs> we don't really have time to get into that. <laughs> sure, right, sure, 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 sure. But I, I could see, you know, like you're a college student. You go out with a bunch of friends on a Friday night. And you get stoned and you talk about like all the different fates you might encounter and whatnot. Yeah. Based on this. If I sat in the row behind uh, the row that I sat in when I watched this, would we be having the same night right now? Right. And I could see that for like stoned college students. And maybe I thought this was more meaningful when I saw it the first time, although I really don't remember. But yeah, I don't know. I didn't feel that way this time. I thought it was entirely forgettable, if fun to watch. Uh, That's interesting. I think that might be a time and place thing because like, you know, you can't deny the influence this has had. And we've seen a lot of things kind of play with a lot of these elements since then. So I think it was, I don't want to say revolutionary, but it was very different at the time. True, true, true. Um, Owen Gleiberman in Entertainment Weekly kind of uh, gets to that a bit. He said, Run Lola Run is a madly spinning top of a movie, one that I suspect will eventually be regarded as the art house smash that heralded the 21st century. Its 34-year-old writer-director, Tom Tickver, is German, but it's obvious that his chief cinematic role models are not Herzog or Fassbinder. The ferociously infectious, candy-colored, jump-cut style of Run Lola Run is pure propulsive pop. The movie would have been unthinkable prior to the age of MTV and Tarantino, Oliver Stone, and Trainspotting. Still, for all its pulsating, razor-edited exuberance, the film is ultimately as unique as its sources. In its speed and elegant hyper-precision, its celebration of action as devotion, it's a new-style girl-power daydream. I like all accurate, nothing to fight about there, but yeah. I, I'm especially the MTV stuff. Right. But I think, you know, um, you know when you read and research, obviously there are the vertigo kind of homages right, in there. Right. Um the other thing is, and maybe he didn't know this at the time, but if I'm not mistaken, Tikber was he ran an advertising agency, right? Uh yeah, that could be. He yeah. came from that world. Right. And this kind of is shot in the way you see like a lot of commercials shot. Yeah. So I think it's that kind of art meets commerce feeling that um really encapsulates the whole thing where, you know, MTV was kind of going that direction anyway at the time. Yeah. I mean to me this feels like, especially because of the use of the music and the fact that the music was created by Tom Tickver and uh, Franca Potenta, the star who plays Lola, it feels like a long music video to me and like a good music video, but not really more than that. And I think, you know, I, and I don't want to keep saying, well, college kids like it, <laughs> but I think, you know, having been in college at this time and this was shot on digital, right? Yeah. And like you said, they, they did the music themselves. They had all these like kind of fast edits and everything. This is something you probably saw and been like, oh, I could, uh, I mean, you know, other than like smashing an ambulance through a giant glass plate and maybe staging a robbery in a real life supermarket, like for the most part, you could make this movie. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it does. I, I think that you don't want to discount the, the technical achievement here. Sure. And there's a lot of really creative visual stuff going on in this film that uh, is difficult, I'm sure, to achieve. Yeah, no, and I think I agree with that. I'm th- I think what I'm saying is like, if you watch something, you know, like American Beauty, which we're going to talk about this season, right? Um, you know, you can see like, oh man, there's just so much money on the screen, right? This, I think, like, is shot in a way that's more relatable to someone who's got the home camera. Right. And I think there are probably a lot of uh, less talented filmmakers who decided their short films were going to incorporate some of these elements. Right. And uh, learned that they are not Tom Tickver. <laughs> so finally, Janet Maslin in The New York Times said, it's a furiously kinetic display of pyrotechnics from the director Tom Tickver, who fuses lightning fast visual tricks tirelessly shifting styles and the arbitrary possibilities of interactive storytelling into the best case scenario for a cinematic video game. Tickver does this with a vigor and pizzazz that offset the essentially empty nature of the exercise. He makes Run Lola Run sufficiently hot, fast, and post-human to pull that off. For its sheer cleverness and gamesmanship, its altered sense of emotion and meaning in the face of breathless forward momentum, his film makes a startling harbinger of things to come. So Dave, you're the video game guy. Did this feel video gamey to you? 100%. That was one of the first things I thought of when I was watching this. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, Jason, we haven't played video games as much, but the idea of kind of starting over when you messed up or whatever is a very well, video game thing. Lola never hit a block with a question mark on it. And that, it would have fit, came. though, if The she extent did. of our knowledge, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know who else you could have run was Bo Jackson in Tech Mobile. He was very <laughs> Tech good. Tech Mobile, so, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for that, Jason. Excellent contribution on that front. Um, so I assume you watched this in college because you were talking about that. Yeah, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but shortly thereafter, again, this was like that boom of blockbuster time, and everything was available. And uh, I remember being like, "Oh, I get what all the hype's about." Right. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I know I saw it and I don't think I saw it in the theater. I must have rented it or something, but I had almost no recollection of any specifics coming into it this time. So I think it was a movie that I probably thought was cool, but again, didn't really stay with me in any way. Uh, I want to say one thing, Josh, because you brought up you you took me to task. And oh, you okay. were right to do so. Uh-huh. There were a lot of cool techniques, the animations and then those kind of flash flashes to future life with the polaroids like uh, i shouldn't have uh uh undersold those those are pretty cool yeah i mean i think even if i felt like it was a bit empty like the the technical aspect of it i thought was the filmmaking aspect i thought was quite impressive do you think it was empty or just german no, I mean, I think we've talked about a few dirt. We've talked about Herzog on this podcast. We've talked about Vim Vendors and we may have been, we talked about Vim Vendors this season. Um, and, you know, we may have been frustrated with Paris, Texas, but I wouldn't have said that that was empty. But, but I don't think it's empty. I think, I mean, is it fatalistic or is it, you know, just kind of like deterministic? I don't think it's empty. I think it's just like you have to accept um, whatever it is that's coming towards you. Unless you can scream at an uh, extremely high pitch and control the way a roulette ball lands. I mean, my point was that not it was like uh, philosophically uh, about emptiness. I I mean that it's kind of all style and not much substance. But that's what I'm saying. I think that the substance comes from the philosophical conversations. It can lead to you, you dolt. No. All right. Well, (laughs) 
Thank you for that. Dave, did you watch this movie in college? I'm sure I did, but like you, I don't remember it at all. This felt like the first time I'd ever seen it. I think maybe I was very under the influence at the time. What uh, right. college did you go to, Dave? UNLV. Yeesh. Jason also <laughs> went to UNLV for a little while. For a little while, but uh, that's not where my diploma's from, Josh. Oh, okay, well, let's let's be elitists <laughs> here on Awesome Movie Year. I like my time at UNLV. All right, so. yeah, we just talked to a UNLV film professor. We can't be... Uh, Who I studied under. Yeah, we should be, we're pro-UNLV here. Yeesh. Double yeesh. <laughs> Jeez. No, All that's right. good. Any background info you want to add on this film, Jason? Yeah, Josh, I'd like to add. Please do. Here. Uh, Josh, you were talking about the awards it won. I believe it won the Grand Prix of the Belgian Syndicate of Cinema Critics. Sure. Which is like the award they give to like the film that they feel is most influential going forward, most impactful. Right. Well, it definitely, I mean, from the reviews here too, you can get the sense that people thought that this would be very influential. Do you think it was? I mean, we'll talk about that later, but I feel like not as much as maybe people mm. expected it to be. Yes, the entire year of 1999, we could argue that was the case. Yeah, I suppose so. Let's do that. Let's do that later. <laughs> Any other uh, awards that you wanted to get in there? Nah, nah, what's the point? All right, well, that's a very uh, fatalistic, philosophical <laughs> uh, perspective that you're offering us there. And we'll delve into that more when we come back and talk about our general thoughts on Run, Lola, Run. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1999, we're talking about our foreign film pick, Run Lola Run, the German film from Tom Tickver. And as I've been saying, I thought this movie was fun, but I think it struck me this time as not being much more than just a little fun technical exercise that could have been a music video. Hmm. I liked it and I liked it this time again, maybe not at the same level as the first time, but I thought all the techniques were to me like it is only 81 minutes. Like I was never like, oh, this is dragging. So like right. I was able to appreciate it, even if you do think there's a little emptiness to it, just from like the technical aspect and the energy of it. I mean, it's always high energy and everything. So um, I, uh, maybe I was just thinking about it on a different metaphysical level than you, Josh. I mean, clearly you have ascended to a higher plane than I <laughs> well, have. Well, I didn't say that. I just said a different metaphysical level. I Josh. said it. I'll say it. You it know, could be sorry. parallel. Yeah, that, I suppose it could be. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, as we talked about, like, I don't want to discount the technical achievements here. It's, it's quite impressive the way that the Tickfer constantly switches up what he's doing visually. And especially because he's doing the same story more or less three times in a row. And one thing that struck me, I knew that it was that that was the general thing, that it would be three iterations of this same story. I thought there would be they would be more different than they were. Like when we got to the second story and Lola runs again to the bank to ask her dad for money, I thought, oh, she's just going to go to her dad every time because there's a flash in the beginning in the first story where she thinks, how can I get money? And it flashes through all of these people that she knows until she finally settles on. I'm going to ask my dad. And I thought, oh, maybe the next time she'll pick a different person. And it really runs through very similar situations with only slight variations. Well, I think there's two reasons for that. One, I mean, thematically, that's literally the point of the movie, right? Like if you came here two minutes later than you did, then right. did your whole life change, right? Right. 
And then two, it's a low budget movie, right? So it's like <laughs> you can shoot these sequences over and over again with these minor adjustments that lead to major changes. Right. No, that makes sense. I just, again, I, I had this misconception, obviously from not having really remembered anything about it. I had a different idea of what it would be. Um, but I, I like that. I mean, and that is obviously the point is that it's not drastically different, that she makes slightly different choices or encounters a slightly different obstacle and that changes the ultimate outcome. And I, I think that's a cool aspect as opposed to like, you know, well, for using a bad example, right? Like, oh, good. Let's use a bad example. Right. Well, instead of going on a date with this person, I'll go on a date with this person. Now I'm, you know, had I gone on a date with person A, I'd have been a millionaire, but now I'm married to person B and this person beats me, you know? Right. It's like, <laughs> that would have, that wouldn't have resonated as much as like, oh, I tripped over the dog. So now I'm running slower as opposed to I jumped over the dog and now I'm like running faster. I think that's, kind of one of the cool things about this movie. Yeah, I agree. And I think in, you know, as much as we can imagine it in reality, those small choices probably don't make changes like you're pointing out that are so diametrically opposed and so different. And so the idea that like, for the most part, she ends up in a similar situation. You know, she talks to her dad and she has to resort to drastic measures and eventually she gets there with Manny. Um, I think makes sense. I what what Tickfer does with those drastic differences is in those little flashes of the like Polaroids with the people she encounters. Sometimes when only there's only a tiny difference, if they see Lola two seconds later, their life changes from being a millionaire to being homeless or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, in a way that's more effective because we, those characters are more just like, Oh, here's a little side beat. Right. Right. But I, I think also you're not giving enough credit to the major changes that do happen, whether it's like, oh, the ambulance smashed through the glass plate and now it runs over Manny or, you know, um, he does rob the bank and then Lola gets shot and killed, you know, like there are very extremely different outcomes in this thing. Right. I mean, those are extremely different. But on the other hand, it's like Lola gets killed because she's there with Manny at the supermarket at the appointed time. And so that's the slight variation, but she still gets there, whether she gets killed or she arrives with the money safely. Right. So let's just kind of, you know, Beat this out in case people are a little confused right they're now, running away from our podcast <laughs> so. uh, all right so in each one right we know that manny um needs money because lola wasn't able to pick him up and a bum took the it's money really can we just say manny is worthless if i were lola i would have hung up on him and let him die but why didn't she show up to pick him up she tells him why because her moped got stolen and she tried to get in a cab and the cab went the wrong way. I mean, I feel like she put in a lot more effort and he was like, oh, you didn't pick me up. So uh, I was stressed out and I left this giant bag of money on the subway. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't stressed out. Police were closing they in on him. looking for him. He just was always paranoid about the police. As he says, like, I just I ran because that's what I always do when I see police. I'm going to give equal amounts of guilt to Lola okay. and Manny on All this right. one. I think it's continue. more like 60, 40. But in which way? him his fault yeah well yeah coming from a unlv graduate i wouldn't <laughs> be surprised that you think that so. all right so no, uh, so look so he she needs him like you said he need he, i gotta fit he's like if you don't get here in 20 minutes i'm gonna rob this supermarket to get the money right because he owes it to like some gangster yeah right uh a hundred thousand deutschmarks right 
And so that starts the sequence, and each sequence starts the same. She runs past what I assume is her mother, but we never know. Yeah, I think it is. I'm uh, pretty sure. You know, get me perfume or something, she Shampoo, says. Shampoo, yeah. yeah. And so that's always the same, and she runs down the hall, and we move into this animated step because I guess you couldn't shoot that with a real dog, you know? Yeah, maybe, or maybe that wasn't uh, the actual structure of the place where they shot, and she's got to run down some right. stairs that and didn't exist. And it's this, like, cool, gnarly 2D Spike and Mike animation fest style uh, animation. And in the first one, she runs past the dog, and so everything's on course. The father is uh, at the bank talking to his mistress, who also works there. He learns that the mistress is pregnant. The father tells Lola he's going to leave the entire family and go off with the mistress. And also, why not? Lola, you're not really my daughter. That seemed a little excited. The father is quite callous, really. Yeah. That, Doesn't seem to like Lola at all. That one got a little crazy. I, you know, it's like, I've held this in for all these years. But now seems like as good a time as any. Right. <laughs> you know, um, Manny robs the bank. Lola decides to help him. The police catch up and shoot Lola, and she dies. Right. right. It's the supermarket that he robs. Right. I, I'm yeah. sorry. The father's at the yeah. bank. That was, right. a, 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 you know, a, a misspeak, Josh. Misspoke. Right. No, there. I just want to be good because Lola later does rob the bank. Right. Right. She does. And I think that's in the second one. Yes. Where instead now she runs out. She trips over the dog. So now she's limping. She gets to the bank late. And the mistress tells the father that the kid's not his. Lola grabs the gun from the, from the security guard who is very uh, condescending yeah, to her. He's just a dick, right? She robs the bank and then, you know, she has the money, but then the ambulance smashes into Manny and kills him. And like we've talked about, there are these set pieces with the, you know, the glass plate as you run into that. And the father's associate that Lola kind of jumps over the car or doesn't jump over the car, right? So that's part two. This is a three sweet sequence thing. In the third one, she leaps over the dog, gets there early. There's no car accident between the associate and everything. The father and the colleague now go to a meeting together because he wasn't in a car accident. Lola goes to a casino, screams at the roulette wheel, uh, wins like, you know, the, the hundred. And I think even more than yeah, she, she won. Yeah, she won more. And it's like, but she bet it on 20 both times. And it was like the first time it came up and the second time she just screamed which we've only seen her do one other time and it's like a supernatural scream that can control things or something i don't know well, yeah she does it in the beginning i think in the first sequence just in her apartment and all it does yeah. is break stuff right meanwhile manny finds the bum because of the blind lady who like holds him at the phone booth and is like look that way you know because she's got some supernatural sense and also a, and maybe. a phone card <laughs> yes and a phone card and today it might not work because of cell phones, right? True, true. Well, a lot of things would be different with cell phones in this film. Yeah. So, and then Manny sees the bum with the bag. He goes and then he gets the bag back and the bum's like, at least give me that gun. And he's like, okay. And I thought like the bum would just shoot Manny right there and take the money back. But he didn't. Right. You know, so Lola's won this money. She thinks she's going to have to give it over to Ronnie, the drug dealer, right? But Manny's already returned that money. So now they're walking home and... She has all this money and, you know, maybe she dumps Manny. Maybe she doesn't. I mean, really, she ought to, I think. Um, although she's not. She's kind of annoying, too. There's these interludes, too, in between the different sequences where we see Manny and Lola in bed together. And they're asking each other these hypothetical questions about what would happen in their relationship. Like uh, Manny asking Lola what would happen if he dies. And 
Lola asking Manny, you know, how do you know that you really love me? And I think they're also meant to be philosophical, but they just make them yeah. seem like annoying people. No, I agree. They are supposed to be philosophical. And I don't think that's the, the top notch writing we're looking for there. <laughs> but I get it. It's because you need to take a breath between those sequences to restart the, uh, you know, the, the story. So that's why right. Right. Yeah. Structurally, that's why that's there. But I feel like watching them interact that way. It made me like them even less. I'm like, these people are annoying. Like, who cares? Well, no, they, you're right. They both kind of suck. Yeah, right? they, they do kind of suck. Yes. So, but I mean, even so, like, I was complaining that this movie is kind of empty or that there's not much to the characters, but those interludes that are all about learning more about the characters, I didn't really care for. And I, so maybe I didn't want that. And what I, and I agree with you on like the substance of them, but I, again, I'm like, oh, these are cool. The red, you know, sure, kind they of look cool overlays and everything with the lights. So that's kind of what I was focused on. Yeah. Too. No, all the stylistic stuff is cool, whether it's that or the Polaroids or the animation or just the various uh, camera angles, the way it's shot, it all looks good. Right. And the Polaroids, it's like you see this random person who, you know, has a brief interaction with Lola. And, uh, you know, in one, I don't know, can you, can you go through a sequence of those Polaroids or, um, well, I mean, there's, I think there's three, are there three people that they do it with? Yeah. I there's think one so. woman at the bank. There's one woman on the street and then there's the guy who stole a bike, the bikes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it starts with the woman with a baby carriage and she's one that Lola sees early on. And there's one where she gets like her baby taken away, I think. And then there's another one where she becomes a born again Christian, uh, I think. And then there's the guy who's stolen a bike and he tries to sell Lola his bike. And there's one where he gets beat up, I assume, by but, the people he stole the bike but from. But that worked out the best for him because then right. he meet, it was it a nurse or someone at a yeah. cafe. Yeah, I think it's like an EMT who helps him after he gets beat up. And then they get married. Right. And then there's another one where he ends up like a homeless drug addict. And he um, dies. because yeah. Of, yeah. And then in the third story, we actually see him talking to as the part of the story yeah because yeah. he sells the bum his bike that's why we have bike bum bike as our <laughs> sequel to this film um, and then yeah and then there's a woman who works at the bank who also there's one like lola just kind of looks at her and then there's uh, we see her also dying somehow i think uh and then there's another one where she instead has a happy sort of romance with one of her coworkers. right right so yeah those are just little i mean it's almost they're so fast that by the time you realize what's going on, you're like, what, wait, what happened to this person? And it's over. But I remember watching that the first time and I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Like, so no one really focuses on like these background players that like, uh, you know, for uh, the, the free guys, if you will. Ah, uh, yes. The NPCs. They are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And I thought that was a very cool technique when I first saw it. Yeah, no, it is cool. And I think it still is cool. And I think that is one of the things in this movie that it keeps, it holds your attention because it's a short movie and it's always, it always is literally in motion, but also uh, visually and narratively is always in motion is always showing you something new. And I think that's important because it's also always showing you something that you kind of saw before. Yeah. But I get what you're saying. You're, you're not thrilled with the substance, but Josh, if there was more substance, there might be less running. Right. I was also thinking this whole time, like, man, Franca Potenta is really in good shape. She must've run like a marathon the equivalent of a marathon while shooting this movie. Is it Franca or Famka? Franca. It's F-R-A-N-K-A. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, she's, I had some review that I, uh, either one, part of one of the reviews that I didn't use or or uh, another review 
mentioned uh, compared her to Tom Cruise, who's known for you know running, running all the time, and said that her her run was better than his. You know, it looked better or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but he like jumps off of buildings to other buildings, and she he just does. ran down the streets. And that's no knock on her. She wasn't given the opportunity to jump off the building. Here. No, no, she wasn't. But I mean, just from a physical standpoint, she's running a lot, and yeah. that must have been a difficult shoot. I think the other thing is like. You know, that red hair is so striking. Right? Yes. It's very punk rock and, you know, dyed hair. I was kind of bummed to learn it was a wig and not her real hair because I thought, like, she is uh, a heroine on screen that we don't really, we never really, I mean, we saw some of that type in the 90s in, like, you know, Tank Girl or, like, Tank SLC Girl. Punk or yeah. stuff like that, right? But that was not very mainstream for any uh, any period of time. And then we get to Scott Pilgrim. Well, yeah, that's on. much less like 20 right. years later or so. maybe no. Not but uh, yeah, I think we've kind of covered it. I just wanted to ask Dave, what do you think the music added to this thing? Well, especially with the whole video game angle. I mean, it, it is just like that, just hard pumping electronic music soundtrack, which just keeps that running going the whole time. You know, it's that, an awesome and, soundtrack. And she I love has it. to keep running because... Right. Otherwise, she's gonna die. Yeah. Right. It's a, well, because <laughs> it's the title of the movie. Yeah, yeah that exactly. too. It's not called Stop Ola Stop. No, that would be a bad sequel. <laughs> not um, like Bike Bum Bike. Right. No, both of those bad. This would be like my dream movie to score. By the way, this would be so much fun to just nonstop action wall to wall. You know. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing. Is not just that the music enhances it. Like the music is Paces. essential yeah. yeah like this movie would not exist without the music i mean that's why to me it felt almost like a music video because the music is as important as anything right. else it's a constant background there are very very i don't know very maybe zero moments without some background music i maybe but i mean or it, i think i'm sure when she gets shot or something and they yeah. slow it down there's probably something but it's notable because you are expecting the music to be so constant and again, because the score or the the songs and the score are by the filmmaker himself, it's so well integrated into every other element. It's not like he made the film and then handed this off to a composer and said, give me some music. You know, I'm sure the music was something that was in his mind from the beginning. That's why I think the whole ad agency background, you know, uh, which if it turns out to be false, I've really uh, dug myself. I mean, it, ma it makes here. sense. It you know, well I can absolutely yeah. see that. Being but I do think it, does, it is paced and thought out like a like a long commercial. Right. Yeah. I mean, a commercial to me, a music video. I mean, I almost wondered. I went back and looked. I was like, oh, was he not a filmmaker and was just a musician and made a music video that just got really long? And that's not true. This is his third film and he was a filmmaker. But it almost felt that way. Like it could have been just like, hey, let's make a video for our song. And then it just kind of kept going. Well, that's right. That's why I was saying like it, I could see how like a lot of people would be in, young filmmakers would be inspired by this. Like if he could do this, what could we do? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it certainly is. I mean. MTV and music videos had been influencing film since the 80s and, you know, since the first sort of crop. of And vice versa. Right, right. But I mean, since that first crop of music video directors kind of transitioned into making feature films. But this definitely feels like maybe as a result of that cross pollination of going back and forth. And this is sort of the ultimate result of something like that, where they just fuse together. Yeah, this is the bastard child, like the bastard child, the lady is carrying in the movie that you refuse to. acknowledge. Yes. No, no, I acknowledge that I missed that. I was uh, focused on the wrong thing. And that is the child that she's we don't <laughs> learn who the, who is the father of the child. It's not Lola's. Dad. Maybe it's the uh, associate that he goes to lunch with. It could be, or maybe is the the other coworker that the, is in the flash forward falling in love with the 
other coworker. Maybe right. he's just sleeping with everyone at Could, the bank. Maybe Ronnie the gangster is getting around town. Who knows? Maybe it's a different one on each run. Yeah, oh. we, we, never, we never find out. Yeah. That now it's not just a sequel. Now we have a whole a trilogy. Prequel? Oh god, yeah, yeah that's go. what we would have now. Mm-hmm. Run, run, Lola, run. She'd be running yeah. over eight episodes that would all be eighty minutes long. Daddy, baby, daddy. <laughs> that does not work at all. Let's rate this thing, Josh. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, out of uh, five uh, bags of money, I don't know. Sure, not five long runs. Sure, that so. we could do that. <laughs> you know, I gave it three and a half because I, um, I. I'm not disagreeing with any of your assessments. I think you're probably right. And I could probably say an enthusiastic three, but like just technically it still feels very uh, ahead of its time and like ahead of now in some ways. So from that aspect, it's a three and a half for me. Yeah, that's fair. I give it a three out of five, but I had fun watching it and it certainly is a solid achievement. So Dave, what would you give this? I actually went with a four. Oh, all right. I think it's still pretty standalone. Like, I think there's a lot of things that are probably influenced by it, but it's still an amazing version of what it is. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Well, we'll talk more about that when we come back and get into the legacy of Run Lola Run. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1999, we're talking about our foreign film pick, Run Lola Run. And in terms of the legacy, we we kind of have hinted at this, but this is a movie that people thought would be extremely influential at the time. And I think in some ways it has, but I think in a lot of ways, as Dave was kind of alluding to just a minute ago, it's not. It's its own thing. And people didn't take nearly as much from it as you might have thought they would. Well, I definitely think we see it in commercials and music videos. Like you said, we know like uh, the Bon Jovi music video. It's my life. Well, if it influenced Bon Jovi. <laughs> a lot from the, Dave, the legend of Zelda, right? That that game. I, I wasn't going to go with that one in particular, but Majora's Mask. Perhaps. No. <laughs> is that really? Did yeah, you, there's this also, is all from Wikipedia. Yeah. So, uh, so what? That's research. Jason never Jason never played a Legend of Zelda video game. No, I re- you're right. I read that fact on Wikipedia. Yeah, Josh. yeah. I would actually yeah. go more. I've with also the, read a book about the movies of 1999. I know. I know. I'm just <laughs> saying which that, included that facts of these, this film. These specific references may or may not be all that strong. I would say maybe more of the Phantom Hourglass, not than the Majora's Mask, but that's going down a whole rabbit hole simpsons episode trilogy of error uh yeah i haven't seen that one it's anyway whatever you you knobs uh (laughs) look here's what i'm gonna say right yes maybe i think the influence is in stuff that maybe hasn't broken through on an american level but like for instance i watched dark those three seasons of that uh really trippy german you know, alternate universe show. And right. you could totally tell this has a lot of those thematic elements in there. Not stylistically, but definitely of the uh, thought process and everything. Right. And, you know, um, uh, Tikva. Yeah. He, you know, have you watched uh, Berlin Babylon, Babylon Berlin? Uh, I have not. Yeah. Babylon Berlin, which is the TV series that he co-created and wrote and directed, but it's very popular. Right. And Sense8, you know. Right. So he's playing with these themes over and over. And I think the, you know, like I said, Dark definitely plays with these themes. I just think like, I mean, I don't know how many ways could this translate into Hollywood? We saw the butterfly effect. Oh, that was horrible. That was bad. I guess I'm thinking less about the thematic elements, which are things that 
have come up in other, I mean, the alternate universe and butterfly effect and stuff has been a fairly common theme. But I think what's striking about this movie is less so that and more the the stylistic aspect. But I do think we've seen a lot of that. Like I said, in commercials and this, but like, you know, if you were shooting a chase today, you wouldn't shoot it with like quick cut, quick cut, quick cut, quick cut, because like, I feel like he did this and then a lot of other people did this. So maybe it cycled out more than it didn't have the influence. Yeah, maybe so. You mentioned a couple of the uh, projects that Tom Tiefer has worked on since this Babylon Berlin currently ongoing. I think there's a new season coming or just recently premiered um, and is very popular on Netflix. And he kind of balanced between, you know, he did some more artsy type things, including more films in Germany. But he also went into Hollywood and into English language films, um, Perfume, the Story of a Murderer, uh, was a pretty acclaimed film with Ben Wishaw. Did you uh, see that one? I did see that one. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that movie, actually. Oh, all right. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I've seen a few of his films. His next film after this, which was another German film with uh, Franca Potenta called The Princess and the Warrior. According that to Letterboxd, I saw it. Yeah. Uh, but I really don't remember <laughs> any. And I gave it two stars, so I didn't like the it. The International with Clive and Cloud yes. Atlas, Yawn. Uh, and then a hologram for the king with Tom Hanks. Did you ever see? I that? haven't. They that was Dave Eggers story. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a flop, uh, a rare Tom Hanks flop. But right, I mean, he's worked a lot with the Wachowskis. They co-directed Cloud Atlas. He directed some episodes of Sense Eight, and yeah. I think he's doing some music for the yeah, new Matrix. Yeah, he's a composer on the new Matrix Resurrections. Uh, Josh, while we're talking about music, we got a Johnny Kilmer and Reinhold Heil were the other two uh, who did the music on this film. And who I think he collaborates with on all of his music for his films and for other films. Cool. So, yeah, so he's pretty successful and, and kind of mixing different styles. Franca Potenta also went into Hollywood. People still probably know her most from the Bourne movies. That's what I know her most. From. I mean, I know her most from this, but if I was like just watching American films, she was like a Bourne girlfriend and then... You know, spoiler on Born coming up. I think she dies in the first one that she's in, and then she comes back in a flashback. And no, I think she survives the first one, and then they kill like oh, they kill her in like the the beginning of the the, second one. Right, you're right, you're right. So they're like, oh, we got to get him back in the spy game. Let's kill his girlfriend. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she's been. She had a big part in the second Conjuring movie. The most recent thing I remember from was this that terrible Tom Hardy FX series, Taboo, Taboo. Yeah. where Tom Hardy just grunts the whole time. I mean, she works a lot. She and, does. And so does our friend Morris Bleib, Bleibtrau. Sure. He does. Uh, he works he... a lot in, you know, more German than international, I think. He was in Speed Racer, but more importantly. With the, by the Wachowskis, yeah. yeah. They, see, the, the big the Wachowskis must have loved this film. Yeah, I think, you know, thematically, they talk about a lot of the same things, right? Yeah, yeah. But Das Experiment. That's a definitely uh, cool movie that he's in that people might not have seen. Yeah, I've heard of that, but I haven't. Have you seen that? Yeah. That was good? Yeah, I've seen it, Josh. Okay. I'm... I didn't see it on Wikipedia. I saw it by watching it. That's good. That's the way to do it. Uh, and and also, according to Wikipedia, there is a Hindi language remake of this film. Yeah, coming Loop Lapita. So that's... Coming out uh, by the time this episode's released. Yeah, so if you're in India and you're going to see that film, let us know what you thought of it. Or anywhere else in the world. Well, yeah, but I don't know if it's going to be out anywhere else yet. Hey, one thing we didn't mention is uh, at the beginning, you know, there's that narration about like, kind of like, again, the philosophy or metaphysics of life. Right. And that narrator is Hans Peicht, uh, who is a very famous fairy tale narrator in Germany. So I think it's cool that you get like a voice that like all these kids know from growing up and you have them like ask these like, uh, you know, really deep questions of like, 
what does life mean and how does everything affect everything? Yeah, that is cool. I mean, obviously something that uh, American audiences wouldn't, it would be lost on us, but uh, yeah, that's cool. That's an Easter egg. And I don't even know if they celebrate Easter in Germany. I think they probably do. Do they have eggs in Germany? Oh, they have eggs in Germany, Dave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> experts on German culture here at Awesome Movie Year. <laughs> hey, Josh, uh, the one um, Tegbar film you left out was that he took over for Kieslowski when Kieslowski died, uh, the movie called Blind Chance. You ever yeah, seen I that? haven't seen that, but I think it also has some similar themes. Yeah, I've never seen it. All right, so we have neither of us seen that film, but it exists. Yeah. So uh, if you want to see a movie we haven't, blind chance. Excellent. Well, on that note, that is Run Lola Run, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Uh, check us out on social media. Yeah, I don't know why you would after this conversation, <laughs> but if you still want to, uh, I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram, although I think now you find me on Facebook at J Harris Comedy, which is where you also find me on Twitter. Go for Jason.com in any universe is not a good website. <laughs> and we are on awesomemovieyear.com, serviceable, awesome movie year on Facebook and Instagram, awesome movie pod on Twitter. And you can uh, vote, I think, still in our uh, yeah, ongoing tournament for our audience choice episode this season. Yes. And Dave will talk more about his Facebook group, which is where we post half the poll, and on our Twitter is where we post the other half. But our audience choice is all about the teen movies of 1999. And we've set it up like an NCAA style basketball tournament, single elimination. And uh, it's fun every week or every few days, we put up a new matchup and the winners advance until there will be only one, which will be our audience choice episode. This yeah. Season. So that should still be going on as this is out. Um, so you can vote for that. You can check me out at joshbellhateseverything.com, at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook, and at SignalBleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out our Facebook group that Jason was just talking about, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Can I just say, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, we put the Wild Wild West episode out, and people eviscerated us, telling us how good... <laughs> Wild Wild West is. It's like three people who like that movie, and they're all in the popcorn and puzzle pieces and, group. And two of them, we both I think have horrible taste in movies. But it was so much fun to hear people say what was so great about it when I didn't think there was anything great about it at all. You sure didn't. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. No, we do. We always. It's great to get feedback of any kind on that, and it's fun when people uh, don't agree with our opinions and we get to hear a different perspective. So yeah. Thank you. Popcorn and puzzle pieces. Yeah. That's what we like, Josh open dialogue and that's it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That one thing. So what do we have in our next episode, Jason? Josh, get ready. The creepy crawlies and ghoulie woolies are coming out. It's a special Halloween episode in season for 1999. The Blair witch project. Ooh. Yeah. We'll definitely not do that. Tune in next time for the Blair Witch Project. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.